Hello and welcome to Spotlight on Business, brought to you by NatWest with me, Mary Portas. In this podcast series, we've been concentrating on the topics that matter most to UK businesses, discussing both the challenges and opportunities they face in today's business world. And over the past five weeks, I've been joined by professionals from some of the UK's leading companies to focus on themes including security, marketing, exporting, finance and HR, shining a light on the areas that businesses need to know about and to act on to succeed. And in this bonus podcast, I want to bring you a roundup of some of my favourite pieces of advice from the past few weeks, the key lessons and the learnings as told by my brilliant guests. I've really enjoyed hosting this series because the people that I've spoken to have really exuded an energy and a real interest and specialism in what they do, looking at new processes, new ways of approaching businesses and actually looking at how they consistently can improve because business is so fast that we always need to be looking at how we can make it a better place. Um, But I want to begin by revisiting a fascinating conversation that I had with Nishma Robb, Marketing Director at Google. And marketing is an area that's gone through enormous change over the past decade or so. Things like digital technology, social media has offered these new opportunities and the landscape has become so complicated for many businesses. But today, Google is one of the most powerful forces in the modern marketing ecosystem. So Nishma has this wealth of experience and some fantastic insider insights, which I'd like to share some clips from now. Let's pass over to her. As a consumer, and I can totally relate to this, we're more curious, so we ask more questions, we want to know more. We have an obsession about researching everything. You know, we've seen actually through search patterns, people don't necessarily look for, you know, shoes, or they don't look for bicycles they want the best so they're using more words that sense of people are seeking out and researching and curating what they want a lot of our behavior is on a mobile phone you know Mm. it's the most powerful thing in our pocket and I think as soon as you are the consumer with that it means that they have so much control to find out everything about you your product what they can find near them so to every business I always say start with thinking about how are you found in terms of not just your locality or your website, but actually what can they find out about you? If you have a great story that makes you distinctive about your business or brand, make sure you tell it. Don't rely on people having to kind of dig too hard. Actually think about how do you want consumers to find you and how do you appear? Video is key part of it. You know, video, four years ago, three years ago, actually, I think video was still seen as something that was bigger businesses or something that had to be really produced. Whereas the reality is now the phone, your camera on your phone has as much of an ability to be able to create a great video that you can push out to people, whether that's on your site or or through things like YouTube. And it's also that you talked about that storytelling because people want that, don't they? Mm-hmm. They are interested in the backstory behind a brand and why they should believe in it, I guess. Yeah. And you're right, it's creating those videos that just have interest at the heart of it mm. instead of just putting up content yeah. for content's sake. And then also advertising against other people's content. I think that's the other thing. It's not necessarily just making your own, you know. I think having a video or having somewhere, a destination people can find out more is important, whether it's a website, a, a mobile site or a video. But actually thinking about what are people watching and consuming. And it's that targeting. So it's about being able to 
target the kind of customers that you want. Yes. So that's what digital provides to, to any business. And also being able to track it. So having an understanding of what works and what doesn't work and what do people like and engage with. Because I think it's about actually measuring people's behavior and attention. So where are they spending time and, and being attentive? And then being able to measure what they do. Because actually... What we don't do now is we don't necessarily kind of research and find something and then wait for a shop to be open and do it. We want it now. Yeah. We see the number of the increase in searches now for things like same day delivery or actually opening hours and being able to think, well, can I go to a website? Do I need to go to a shop? When can I go there? Thank you to Nishma Rob, Marketing Director at Google, speaking there. I've met Nishma many times and she's still as impressive as the first time. Now, whilst marketing is key to getting your product off the ground, we all know cash is king when it comes to keeping company afloat. And a couple of weeks ago, I was joined by a very young looking Luke Johnston, who was very young indeed, co-founder of Pact, the world's first frozen smoothie kit company, to talk about the subject of finance and cash flow. And as we know, cash flow is a hugely important area for all businesses, and especially for ones that manufacture products and they have to juggle long periods of time between spending money on producing stock and then receiving payment from retailers, often big retailers. And we know from research that things like payment terms can be crippling for new SMEs. And however, Luke has some great strategies for overcoming cash flow problems and keeping them in the black, starting off with actually starting his business in his parents' shed. <laughs> Let's hear from Luke now. When we were first starting out in business, because we hadn't had an extensive experience in business ourselves, there was moments where I remember basically being a few months away from running out of cash, like sort of two months, and just sitting down with our finance guy. And he basically said, look, these are the steps you need to take. Never make this mistake again. And I think once you've had that lesson learned, as long as it's done in a controlled way, you take it forward and never again. So what were the steps? What did he so say? So the key, he was basically like, right, you need to make sure that you're cutting costs here. You need to know your break-even point. You need to know what your burn rate is every month. You need to have a cash flow model that is variable so you can plan what happens if you get loads of sales, what happens if you get too little sales. Because at the time for us, we were just getting so many sales that we were just struggling to pay for them to be produced, really, because we were getting paid so late. So tell me, what financial tools or routes have you taken to ensure that the right access to funds are available when you need them? So one of the biggest tools is invoice finance. It is knowing that as soon as you get a purchase order from a customer, you can pass that on and you can get access to those funds. Explain early. what invoice finance is first. So, so basically, if, so if a supermarket places an order with me mm -hmm. um, and I fulfil the goods then I can pass that order onto the bank and they can give me 80% of those funds up front until the customer pays me eventually and then I get the rest remaining 20%. So I basically get 80% of the funds up front and then I can get the 20% when the customer That's pays me. That's a lifesaver. That's got to be probably the most important part. With, you, yeah, without it? a shadow of a doubt, yeah. Sage advice there from Luke Johnson of Pact. And invoice finance, as he mentioned, is something you should definitely investigate. Um, it was something new that I heard about and something I've already looked at. And it really is well worth a second look uh, for any small business. Now, from finance, I want to turn to an area that I had absolutely no knowledge about. And I'm still constantly trying to learn about cyber security. And in an age where we face so much more online threats than ever and obligations to protect both company and customer data, it becomes increasingly important. But how can we keep safe? So I spoke to Carmina Lees, Managing Director of Financial Services at Accenture, to find out more. 
The trouble is the threat is so large and it constantly changes. The hackers are getting more and more sophisticated mm. and so trying to keep up with them is difficult. So I think for a small and medium business, you know, you just, I think sometimes those sort of companies think, oh, we won't be hacked, yeah. you know, because we're, we're small. Who's going to hack us? But they're some of the worst now being hacked, aren't they? Exactly. They're more vulnerable. You know, we see statistics around 50% have had a cyber breach, um, which is, you know, for some of these size companies, that, you know, is just a catastrophe. You know, some of them can go out of business. So just give me some examples of what went wrong or what things have gone wrong. So I think the big thing is, and we talk about it a lot in the industry, is making our employees aware or their employees aware simple things of people clicking on links that they shouldn't you know and then you get a bug within the system it can take the whole systems down and so I think you know we've seen that in some companies where you know they can't trade for days they can't do anything and they sometimes support larger corporations which the impact is just absolutely huge for them. For these links I mean I get sent them and uh, even in my business how do you know what's the sort of key little thing where it's not too much written sometimes the English isn't too great is it? Yes that is that you, you know, can hover it's quite basic but if you hover over yeah. the link you will see that it just makes no sense whatsoever and you know generally gut feel yeah. if you get something just yeah. don't click on it you know said, instinct's powerful isn't it really really powerful and when you know links get sent round, and we've again seen in the public domain somebody clicked on the link that said everybody's pay you know, is if there's a spreadsheet that's got everybody's pay on it and people click on it. And of course, it's just, it it is just a nightmare. And I guess it's the apathy that we have because we're so used to just trailing through emails, aren't we? We just kind of go into this sort of... We're all really busy. Yeah. I mean, everybody has no time. Everybody's busy. And this is why I think for small, medium businesses, they're sometimes better placed to make their staff aware and train their staff because they don't have 400,000 people, for example. So it's sometimes easier to put some of these standard basic policies in place, whether it's, you know, don't bring, don't plug in a USB, don't click on links, you know, and send sort of phishing links around as well. That's sometimes quite easy to do for smaller companies. To explain what a phishing link is. By the way, this is all new to me. Yeah. So <laughs> Phishing PH, isn't it? Yeah, Not with your phishing PH, rod. Exactly. So um, what some companies do, almost send them around to test their employees to see if they will click on them right and it just it's getting people into the mindset you know don't click on and then you sometimes have this you've just clicked on a link and oh, it gosh, gets reported to idea. the sort of it office so anybody could do that any yeah, well, that's a really simple way that can help you set yeah. that up once a week oh exactly the, you know you want to mix it up a bit and sometimes yeah. maybe yeah. do it once <laughs> not the usual oh, it's another phishing email but um it's really important so there's some real basic things that some of these small and medium businesses can do to you know just get the employees aware Thanks to Carmina Lees from Accenture with some really interesting thoughts and actually just some really common sense things that we all should be doing. I really want to underline the fact that cybersecurity is an area that all businesses need to be proactive about. The consequences of data breach can be incredibly costly, so don't leave it too late. Make sure you take advice and get secure. In our next clip, I want to turn to an area which can be incredibly exciting for any growing business And that is the subject of exporting and selling internationally. Whether you're taking products to new territories or offering services into new markets, international trade can be a portal to huge growth. But it's also a tricky business. So I sat down with Gurdeep Singh Bath, 
Director of Exports at Perfection Foods, to hear about his experiences. If you get exporting right, it's it's big, it's huge business. Yeah. You can't even put a number to it because the British brand, firstly, is worth so much. And if you've got an artisan product, you're making it in England, consumers have trust and faith in the British brand as well. Certainly if you're a small business or even medium business and you're growing and you haven't done much exports, it's very safe for you to start dip your toe into export markets and that's something you certainly should do dip your toe get a feel for test it. it test it get your packaging right get your partners right do it slowly strategically do it carefully until you're ready to to really expand because when you expand as well there's so many challenges that come with it because you've got to have your infrastructure set you've got to have a sales team present managing your customers because you're not there face to face and you also share your values because that's really important isn't it you want people have the same values and cultural values as you don't you and they're representing you internationally definitely that's very important you've got to get like-minded businesses to represent your brand you've got to get the right partners you cannot rush into that as well selecting the right partner is one of the most important things your partner doesn't have to be the biggest company in the world so long as they've got the right ethos and mentality like how you just mentioned you were talking about selling internationally that it can be costly what would be your top tips for not getting carried away at the start you need to fine tune your markets that you're going to look at. So don't get carried away by visiting multiple markets and studying them, learning them. Just pick a region, pick a market, maybe pick a market close to home. For example, even Ireland, you know, it's not mm. a million miles away. You can get cheap flights. It's close, but there's so much links. Uh, but pick a market. Um, you have to do some desk-based research. You might need to study your competitors in the UK, see which markets they went out first. You might need to pick the brains of uh, other agencies out there to see what they suggest and, you know, make, make some regular trips. Because you can get flights for like £50 a day return. With £50 day return, you can go out there, you can and study do a the lot market. of market research. You can go there for <laughs> one day, come back and you know the market. So, you know, you can do these things. Thanks to Gurdeep Singh Bath from Perfection Foods for sharing his export story and tips. I was so impressed by his attitude. It was clear that the success of his company was down to good tactics and hard work and really, really studying those markets obsessively, physically going there and being thoughtful in creating brands and products that would translate abroad. So do go back and listen to the full episode if you'd like to hear more from him. We're coming towards the end of the show now, but I wanted to finish by talking about one area that's incredibly important and never should be overlooked, and that is building a good company culture. Last week, I was joined by Chu Chow, co-founder of Perkbox, the UK's leading employee and customer engagement platform, to find out more. And we know from countless studies that a happy workforce equals a successful one. And Chu offered some really practical tips and advice for how companies can create better environments for their employees. Let's pass over to him. We believe that a great company needs to have a great culture. And as part of that great culture, you need great leadership. And great leadership recognise staff engagement and happiness. So it's all linked together. So we believe that great cultures support great performance. Success is a side effect. It's an output of having a great culture and supporting happiness in that sense inevitably 
drive success. When I'm listening, right, and I, I'm with you on culture, if, I'm, if, if small businesses are listening, they think, well, how do I identify what my culture is? What do you mean by that? Because it's unique to each business. Absolutely. Tell me how you found yours and decided. Give me some of the, the cultural ways that mm-hmm. you describe and, and behave as a business. In my view, every company has a culture. Mm-hmm. Some see, not so good. Some not so good. You see it as a, almost like a living en- entity. You need to nurture it. If you want it to be happy and successful and growing, you need to treat it nicely and, 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 and apply the leadership and the support that the senior management needs to do to create a great culture. But do you write it down? Do you write down what your vision is for your business as a leader, first of all? As a leader, that's your job. You need to have a mission. What's your mission? Tell me your mission. To build a better society, one relationship at a time. That's nice. And we believe that. Mm -hmm. I believe that. Mm -hmm. And I practice what I preach. We practice what we preach. And we have a set of values as well. We have six values. Tell me them. One of them is zero fear. Zero fear. Absolutely. As we grow bigger, so we have over 250 employees now. And my concern is politics. When you get that big, are people going to be afraid to tell you the truth because of your level of seniority, because you work for a different department, what have you? You need to break that down. We're all here to succeed and to support each other. That's the Perkbox way. I don't want anyone to have any fear in telling the truth because we all believe that it's in the view that we are supporting each other. And are there any sort of one-size-fits-all tips that things that companies can do that are just simple and effective? I think the most, most effective thing I could say is to, to have the founder or the manager of the, or the owner of the business be themselves and be mm-hmm. open because everything that person does gets looked at. So be fun. Start that, you know, those crazy ideas and, and be, be part of the culture. I mean, that's so important because it's no good having a great culture when the management isn't attached to it. Mm. They, don't, they don't feel that it's genuine. Chu Chow, co-founder of Perkbox there. What I loved about Chu is he really believes in his culture and makes sure that he is consistently tapping in to the team and making sure that that flows right the way through his business. Remember, a happy workforce is a productive one and a productive workforce is a profitable one. And I think that's a good point to close our episode today. If you'd like to hear more tips from Chu and indeed all the other guests featured in today's episode, please do go back and check out the rest of this series. And to discover more information, business insight, local events and stories from businesses facing the same challenges as you, search NatWest Business Hub or go to natwestbusinesshub.com where you can also find links to watch the Spotlight sessions. And that's not all from me because we're going to be back soon with more insight and advice from the world of business.